Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. We continue our study through the New Testament. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3. And we're just going to start because it's a continuation of our studies. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, 2, and here we are in chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren. Now, remember, holy brethren, hagios adelphos in the Greek. Holy brethren. Is it for the Jew only? No, in Christ, there is no Jew nor Gentile, nor no male nor female, no slave nor free. You see, a lot of people err here because they say, well, you know, the book of Hebrews, it's only for the Jews. It's for the Jews. But remember, in Christ, there is no Jew nor Gentile. You see, and this is where a lot of people get into problems because, you know, they say that, you know, they emphasize, you know, Hebrews is is for the Jewish believers. It's like, well, wait a second. In Christ, that's non-existent. Male, female, slave, free. There's one in Christ. We are one in Christ. Therefore, holy brethren, he says, partakers of the heavenly calling. And I love how this is written because, you know, one who shares and belongs to this heavenly calling or invitation. Now, remember, from here on out, we're these are remnant teachings from here on out. Now, picture, we're in Philippi. How many times have you heard us reference Corinthians? You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and then boom, the hammer drops in chapter 5. And that's what happens when the leaven is inside the camp. Remember, Paul says to Christians, they gather, they're rejoicing. And he says, you guys, you're rejoicing. It's not good. Now, picture that for a moment. A person says to a group of Christians, they're saints, they're believers, and they gather and you know they're worshiping the Lord and singing song. And somebody says, hey, you guys, your rejoicing isn't good. Do you know how many people would be mad at that person? And that's exactly what Paul did. He says, hey guys, you're rejoicing? It's not a good thing. Now it sounds like, well, wait a second, that's that's a pretty harsh statement. And yes, a harsh statement. But understand, Paul says your rejoicing isn't good because there is leaven in the camp for three years unaddressed. You see, it, where were the pastors? Where were the teachers? Where were the overseers? Where were the shepherds? Non-existent. You see? And so when we see that, you know, we, we make this distinction, understand, you know, when, when, when we speak of the, the remnant body, think more along the lines of Philippi, the saints in Philippi. Now, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, well, wait a second, what's the difference between Corinthian, uh, the Corinthian saints and the Philippian saints? And if you're listening for the first time, it's like, well, I don't get it. Well, we have archived the studies about how to grow and mature in Christ. Go to thewayunderground.com and everything is archived there for you to listen, to follow along, open up your Bible and see and hear and read and understand. And we make these distinctions between Corinth and Ephesus and Philippi in terms of growing and maturing in Christ. And don't forget, in Philippi, Paul had the inclusion of pastors and teachers, something that he didn't have in Corinth. You see, very important to make these distinctions. And remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, you know this.
But if you haven't been, you're a new listener. Welcome. But understand that it's very important to grow and mature in Christ and identify and understand the difference between leaven and, you know, non-leaven, the leaven and remnant, you see. And it's not for the sake of like to, to develop in uh, uh, elitism. But it's for the sake of understanding for you and me together to grow and mature in Christ and not just mature in Christ, but go be like the next echelon, which is deadly, deadly, just like Paul, just like Timothy, just like Chloe, just like Titus, just like Lydia, just like Priscilla, beautiful, beautiful men and women in Christ. You see, both Jew and Gentile. Don't forget Titus, both Jew and Gentile. You see, and so we see here in verse one that, you know, the, the holy brethren, partakers of the he heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. This is so beautiful because, you know, the apostle and high priest, people say, oh, Hebrews is, is for the Jews only. The, the book of Hebrews, it's only for the Jews. Wrong. Apostle and high priest, both Gentile and Jew. And, you know, they consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Our confession, which translates in the Greek as profession or covenant. You see, our covenant, it's in Christ. The blood of the new covenant. This means that we're not in the first covenant, which is the law. We are in the new covenant of his blood. You see? And it's so powerful because the writer here continues in verse 2, who was faithful to him who appointed to, who appointed him. You see, this is the fidelity of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. His fidelity unto our Father, unto his Father, unto our Father. Our Father. It's hallowed be his name. Our Father who art in heaven. And the fidelity, Jesus, his faithfulness unto his father to give us an example of what faithfulness and obedience looks like. And we see here in verse 2 that, yes, Jesus was faithful to our father who appointed him as Moses also was faithful in all his house. You see, it's very important to make these distinctions that, yes, Jesus was faithful and is faithful. Remember, he died, but he rose again. Moses, he was also faithful in the house of God. Same with Joshua, you know, same with uh, 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 David, but then, you know, comes a fall, but then repentance, restoration. Joel, Zechariah, Zephaniah, you see, Nathan the prophet, now, we see Nathan, the, the prophet, and, you know, in the, written by other prophets, but, you know, Nathan, the prophet, when, you know, when, when, when Nathan goes to David and, you know, David, you know, what would you do in this situation? David says, I would kill the guy. And Nathan, you know, you are that man. And then comes repentance, restoration. And it's so beautiful when you see the fidelity unto the Lord. And, you know, and men, women, young, old. Look at beautiful Hannah. Beautiful, beautiful Hannah when the, 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 the high priest thought she was drunk. She's praying and he thinks she's drunk. 
And how the Lord responded to her prayers opened up her womb and she committed uh, her, 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 her little boy to the Lord. And then he serves the Lord. And, you know, when you read uh, 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 the account, what happens is there's there, in that time there was no widespread revelation from the Lord. The Lord was silent in those days. Well, why was he silent? And when you understand formula, you see and you understand why he was silent. It's not that he was silent for the sake of being silent. He was silent because nobody was on his frequency. You see, Hannah was on his frequency and he honored her prayers. Opened up her wombs, her womb. She gives birth to a son. You see, he's on the right frequency. And so he had ears to hear. Remember, the Lord didn't speak to Eli. The Lord spoke to Eli, but it was through little Samuel. And when the Lord spoke to Eli through Samuel, it was judgment. You know, hey, Eli, you're going to die. Your sons are going to die and you're going to die. Judgment. You see? And so we see all these examples of faithfulness unto the Lord. And here the writer of Hebrews is speaking about the faithfulness of Jesus unto our Father. As Moses also here in verse 2 was faithful in all his house. For this one, speaking of Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. More glory than Moses. You see? One was the law. One was the fulfillment of the law. Moses was faithful to the Lord in, in, in the law. There was, remember, there's glory in the law. Just remember the low beams and high beams in our study in Galatians? Low beams and high beams, is not to say, you know, the law is still holy. The law is still holy. The law still has a function and a purpose, and it's still in effect. You see? But it's the lesser glory. It's the low beams. It's the lesser glory. And in Christ, there is no law. In Christ, there is no law. The law was not made for the righteous. Remember our study in the letters to Timothy, very important. Listen to our studies through Galatians. You'll understand more. And if, if you've been walking with us for a while, you know this already. This is like a refresher. And so this one in verse three has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. The lesser glory is the law. But then, you know, turn with me really quick to John chapter five, the book of John chapter five. And in John chapter five, we see something so beautiful when the Lord speaks here. And in John chapter 5 here in verse 39, he says, you search the scriptures. Remember, he's speaking to Pharisees. And he says, you search the scriptures. Now, we, 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 we read that, we hear that, we see that. It's like, wait a second, searching the scriptures is a good thing. And yes, it's a good thing. But what's the condition of the heart? Because Jesus says, you search the scriptures. Remember, he's speaking to Pharisees. And of the scriptures, he says, for in them, you think you have eternal life. And these are they, speaking of the scriptures, which testify of me. Very interesting what we see here. But, but, you are not willing to come to me. 
that you may have life. You see, and understand this is something that requires humility, you know, coming to Jesus. A lot of times people say, you know, well, well uh, they're predestined to hell. No, that's unbiblical. That's Calvinism and Reformed theology. But Jesus says here in verse 40, but you are not willing. You see, you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Because understand that in the scriptures is found eternal life. Yes, absolutely. The word became flesh. But also understand what is the condition of the heart, of the reader, of the hearer. What is the condition of the heart? I mean, I remember a time where, you know, like, you know, when there were times when I read the Bible, but, you know, this is when I was a Catholic and I would read like certain parts of the Bible. It would take me forever to find I would read certain parts of the Bible and I just wouldn't understand it. I, I didn't get, I would read it and be like, okay, you know, I, I read this and, but I don't get it. I don't understand. But then there's times when, you know, I would read like today or even like five years after the fact or 10 years after the fact. And I would read and it's like, wait a second. I get it now. I understand. What is the condition of the heart? You see, you can't read the Bible as literature. I mean, you can, but the word of God is spiritually discerned. You can read the Bible like literature, but it's just like reading literature. But when you read the God, the, the word of God and the condition of your heart, because remember, Jesus Christ says, you know, seek and you will find. Seek and you will find. Well, you know, there were times in my life where I did seek, but I didn't find. You say, wait a second, does that make God a liar? No, 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 no. Far be it from the truth. What happened was the condition of my heart. You see, with the sex and the drugs and the rock and roll and whole nine yards and everything, it's like, okay, I'm going to seek. Okay, read this, read that, read this, read that. I didn't find, so okay. Does, that doesn't work. I, 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 I did seek, just but I didn't find. Because the Lord knew the condition of my heart. And so all of a sudden, when the Lord sees the condition of the heart, it's like, boom, seek and you will find. Seek and you will find. And I love that so much. And, you know, if you're listening for the first time or if you're like a new believer or even if you're a non-believer and you hear that, and you're like, that's pretty harsh. Because Jesus says seek, but then, you know, you won't find. Well, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Because a lot of times what happens is that people like to cherry pick. And I used to be that way. You know, when I say I used to be that, it wasn't like, you know, a week ago. I used to be that way, you know, 20 years. Well, I'm terrible in math, but, you know, probably about 25 years ago now. And so I used to be that way, you know, cherry pick. I used to cherry pick, you know, and that's very common, not just with the pew Christians, but with the teachers and the pastors. But remember, we understand formula now. Full package, we understand formula. Now, if you're listening for, for the first time, you might not understand formula, but listen to our studies through the pastoral epistles and you'll understand more. Very important to understand formula. Very, very important. It's like, so, you know, a lot of times people cherry pick. 
Yes, the Bible says, seek and you will find. And so what the false teachers do is they cherry pick and they say, well, you see, the Bible says this, turn over here. And the Bible says this, turn over here. And the Bible says that. And then all of a sudden they form a conclusion. They say, well, you see, God wants us to be everybody, to be millionaires and billionaires. He said, it doesn't work that way. Those are the money preachers. All you have to do is sow a seed of $500 and you will, and God will bless you financially. No, it doesn't work that way. Those are the money preachers, the hirelings. Their God is their belly. But it doesn't work that way. And when you seek the Lord with a noble heart, and the Lord knows, all of a sudden the word of God comes alive. It's not just literature. I mean, it never was just literature, but the Lord knows. He knows the condition of your heart, of my heart, of everybody's heart. He knows. Because of the Bereans, remember the Bereans, they were Bereans and, you know, they had noble hearts and they searched the scriptures and they had eternal life. But Jesus speaking to the Pharisees says, you search the scriptures, you think you have eternal life, but you're not willing to come to me. That you may have it. Yes, there is eternal life. But is that eternal life, is it effectuated unto the Pharisees? No, it isn't. Why? Is it because they're predestined to hell? No, that's false teaching. It's because they weren't willing to come to him. You see? Remember, there are promises of the Lord all throughout the Bible. But whether or not those promises are effectuated, that's a different ballgame. Remember when we started our study in the book of Joshua, our Wednesday studies? And we started our study in the book of Joshua. And I had a hard time. You know, it was very difficult to, to, to study chapter one. Because yes, I want us, all of us, to lean on the promises of the Lord and, you know, be strong and courageous, just as the Bible says, just as the word of God says, and just as the Lord says. But where are the Joshua's? You see, where are the Joshua's? Those are the magnet verses, the sticker verses, the poster verses. And I hate saying it that way. But a lot of times you see verses like, you know, be strong and courageous for I am with you. And you see it on magnets, you see it on posters. And yes, it's a beautiful verse. But remember, God says that to Joshua. God says that to Joshua. It's not to say that that those promises don't apply to us. But the question is, are you and me, are we Joshua? You see, what about the obedience of Joshua? Not there in Joshua 1. What about the obedience of Joshua when all Israel was defiled? Decades prior. And the choice that Joshua made. As far as me, I'm going to obey the Lord. You see, Joshua made his, his choice. And people made their choice too to dishonor the Lord. You see, when promises are effectuated, the promises are all over the Bible. God's promises, they're more sure than the earth that we stand on. But are they effectuated in us? You see? 
Amen. A lot of times people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. You see, I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. Come on, let's go to the, let's, let's, let's go get some vodka. Hold on a second. Come on, let's go get baked tonight. I'm crucified in Christ. Well, wait a second. That's not crucifixion, brother. That's not crucifixion, sister. You see, that's the old nature. That's the old guy. That's the old lady. That's the one that the Bible says you have to reckon to be dead. And once that is done, now it's like, okay, now certain verses, promises become effectuated where, yes, I am crucified with Christ. Because remember, when Paul says I'm crucified with Christ, that's Paul saying that. It's not to say that that verse cannot apply to you and me. But whether or not it does apply to you and me, balls in our court. You have a choice to make. I have a choice to make. You see? And when we understand this effectuation, now you see why for the Bereans, searching the scripture, beautiful. Beautiful. And the effectuation of promises, beautiful. The the, the problems that you see in Thessalonica, you don't see in Berea. Why? Because they were Bereans. They searched the scriptures. They had noble hearts. You listen to our study through the book of Acts and you'll understand more. And to the Pharisees, Jesus says here in John chapter 5, verse 39, yeah, you search the scriptures. And yes, there is eternal life and you think you you have eternal life. But these scriptures that you search, they testify of me, he says in verse 39. But now the ball's in your court, Pharisees. He says, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have eternal life. You see? And Jesus goes on to say in verse 41, I do not receive honor from men. See, remember, it's a very, very lonely road. The walk with Jesus Christ. He says, I do not receive honor from men. Now, understand too that, you know, the, 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 you, you think, you know, did Jesus receive accolades? And don't forget he was killed. Don't forget that he was killed. I mean, this is, this is John 5 and John 6, you know, here is reference John 6, but you know, when you count the population in, in John chapter 6, you know, you see thousands and thousands of people, multitudes follow Jesus. And at the end of John 6, it becomes just a, a very minute number compared to the thousands. Look at the subtraction you see in chapter 6. Count the population. Thousands become hundreds. Hundreds become 12. I mean, in John chapter 6, we go from thousands and then at the end of chapter 6, 12. Did did Jesus receive the, the accolades of men? Well, in one regard, when the bellies were full, yes. But a study through John 6, you see, well, wait a second. Remember when Jesus says, hey, you guys are following me because your bellies are full. You're not following me because you love what I say. You follow me because your bellies are nice and full. And then people were offended and they left him. Even the disciples, they departed and followed him no more. And then there were 12. You see? 
Don't forget, he was killed. Don't forget, he's he's speaking to his persecutors and the ones who would kill him. Remember, in, in verse 16, in, in John chapter 5, verse 16, that's exactly who he's speaking to, the Pharisees. And he says, I don't receive, in verse 41, I don't receive honor from men. He says, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. Now, do you remember our studies through Torah? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And how we see the law as a door. Now, all these studies are archived. If you're listening for the first time, purpose in your heart to go back and listen to those studies. And you see the Torah as a door. It's like, wait a second. Remember, you know, what do you mean the law is a door? Well, in the law is found a door, but understand like different chambers because in the law, remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, a little refresher course in the law and through the law, a person can learn fear to fear the Lord. And in that can learn to trust the Lord. And then the next chamber is learn to love the Lord. You see? Now, that if you're listening for the first time, it's like, wait a second, I don't get it. I don't understand. Well, if you go back and you listen to our studies through Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you'll understand more. But when a person is stoned, speaking of the law, I'm not advocating the law, that's old covenant. But when a person is stoned, that's scary. I mean, you don't need me to tell you that. That's scary. I mean, as, as, as say, for example, like, you know, it just so happens we, we, we taught on this on Wednesday where a guy kills somebody and, you know, say it's an accident and it's completely accidental. Well, in the law, there's a means for restoration using the law and in the law and through the law, a means for restoration. But if it's done, you know, with ill intent, if there was hatred in the heart, remember, we just studied that on Wednesday. If there's hatred in the heart, precursory to the event of murder, all of a sudden, something else happens where it's like, okay, you're, a guy is guilty of murder. Okay, we're going to stone you. I'm not advocating the law and saying that, but that's what would happen under the law in the old covenant. That's what would happen. And so, okay, so say, for example, we are witness to that. I mean, like literally, we get in our time machine, we go back in time, and we see a guy kill somebody, which is bad. I'm not glossing over that. That's bad. And then we see the elders. They say, oh, they hear the case. They say, okay, now we're going to stone you. Go stand over here. They pull him over there, and then they stone him. And he's dead. Now, do you know how scary that is? I mean, yeah, you, you might be like, yeah, that's scary. But you, that's scary. Because, you know, the first stone... It, it, Probably won't kill you. Second stone still probably won't kill you. But stone after stone after stone after stone after stone. I mean, you're going to have like cracked bones, cracked skull, everything. And that person dies. Now, if we're witness to that, you know how terrifying that's going to be? That's scary. It's like, okay, I don't want to mess with the law. If there's that fear. The fear factor. And remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape, or form. 
And I don't want to like, I don't want to speak so loosely about it. Like, oh yeah, it's no, you know, fear of the Lord, no big deal. I mean, you know, like, you know, stoning, a guy gets stoned, a guy's skull gets cracked, no big deal. No, it's a huge deal. Oh, that's so graphic. Why do you got to speak like that? Well, don't forget the guy, he's guilty of murder. He's guilty of murder. He killed another guy. And now when the law is applied, now he gets killed. Now, don't forget the law is still in effect today. But there is only one who is qualified to cast any stone. And that's Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ doesn't cast stones. He will judge, but not yet. You know why? Because that door is still open for a person to learn to fear the Lord. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. In Old Testament days and even today, or since that law was given, the wages of sin is death. And even today, the wages of sin is death. And if a person dies without Jesus Christ, hello, lake of fire. Straight up lake of fire, the second death. And the second death is, you know, you, you die in the flesh. Okay. You know, funeral, you know, and you know, you're dead and that's the first death buried in the ground. That's the first death. The second death is eternal fire, like lake of fire. That's the second death. The second death does not come upon the Christian, the believer in Jesus Christ. You see? Death has no sting. Now, Christians will die. I mean, you're going to grow old and gray and wrinkly and, you know, the body's just going to give out and, you know, say goodnight. But I say say goodnight in terms of, you know, sleeping. Because there is going to be an awakening. You see? And the living will by no means precede the dead. But there is a generation that will not see death. That's the rapture of the church. You see, it's very important to understand the law and, you know, the fulfillment of the law in accordance to the word of God, in accordance to the promises of God in the law and even before the law promises of God unto Abraham. Because when we have the full counsel of the word of God, we can see clearly we can see clearly and understand that, yes, the law is still in effect, but there is nobody who is qualified to cast a stone. You see, a lot of times, sometimes the non-believers, they'll say, oh, you know, you Christians, you're so crazy. You know, you think that we should be stoned. You know, do you think that the, the, the homosexuals should be stoned? Do you think that the, you know, the, the lesbian should be stoned? Do you think that this guy should be stoned and this lady should be stoned? It's like, well, wait a second. Hold the phone there, my friend. I should be stoned. I should be stoned. You see? That's why I love Jesus so much. Because the wages of my sin, of which I should be stoned, I should have been stoned. Because the wages of sin is death. But God who so loves the world gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And when that belief happens, 
and faith in Jesus Christ, there also comes justification. And then there's a transfer, life for life. The wages of sin is death. And all of a sudden that transfers away from me, away from you, away from all who believe. And it goes on his son, Jesus Christ. And his son died and paid the price. The telestai, it is finished. He paid the price. You see? So the wages of sin is still death. But it was placed upon his son. And that's a holy transaction. I don't like saying transaction. I just have no other word for it. It's a holy transaction which happens to anyone, male, female, young, old, upon belief in Jesus Christ. And if that's you, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and you want to be a believer in Jesus Christ or, you know, you're just fed up with sin. That's where I was. I was just fed up with dirt. The filth and the yuck and the nest. I was just fed up with it. There were some other things, but. And praise be to the Lord because. He saved me. He saved you. And if you're not a believer, he wants to save you. But he doesn't make robots. He doesn't say bow down and, you know, I'm going to force you to worship me. No. I mean, not yet. You know, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. But you have the opportunity. You know, we do it willingly. You have the opportunity to do it willingly if you're not a believer. You commit your life to Christ right here, right now. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Christ and come back and you listen and we continue in our journey together. And then you can search the scriptures. Not like the Pharisees, but like the Bereans. Where there is eternal life in the word of God, in the scriptures. And so we see here in verse 42, still in John 5, he says, but I know that you do not have the love of God in you. In verse 43, I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. Very interesting. You, you know, you understand why deafness happens for a reason. Blindness happens for a reason. And Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees, if a guy comes in his own name, you're going to receive him. I come in my father's name and you don't receive me. People like those accolades. People like that attention. Oh, wow, this is so impressive. Look, he's coming in his own name. Look, it's so impressive. And look, he has like all these followers. He's so impressive. Look, he's an influencer. So impressive. Look, he's written all these books. It's so impressive. Look, let's receive him. But real messengers, they don't have their own message. But it's that of another. In the case of Jesus, his message was from the Father. I have come in my Father's name, he says. In the case of the apostles, they don't come with their own message. They come with the good news. The good news of Jesus Christ and him crucified. They don't have their own message. Their message is from the word of God. 
the good news. The prophets of old, they don't have their own message. They straight up say, thus saith the Lord. But somebody who comes in his own name, and Jesus is saying, look it, you got people who come in their own name and you receive them, you open the door, you roll out the red carpet for them. But me, I come in my father's name and you close the door. And the Pharisees are without excuse. I mean, to a certain degree. Because I can understand a Pharisee being uh, cautious. I mean, because... You know, anybody can come into town and say, hey, look, I'm the Messiah. Anybody could come into town and say, claim to be the Messiah. And I can understand the Pharisees in a protective manner, protecting the, 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 the people. You understand that there are qualifiers. And there is only one who meets the biblical qualifications of Messiah. And his name is Jesus. You see? And so the Pharisees, they're without excuse. They, they should know. They should know. And for some of them, they did know. You see? But they like their power. They like their control. The religious establishment. The guy comes and he comes in his own name. And you guys receive him. But for me, you close the door. Jesus says in verse 44, how can you believe? Now, deafness and blindness, though sad, it's easily understood. The hardening of the heart, it's easily understood. It's not jello. Remember, we want jello hearts. When a heart isn't jello, it's easily understood, especially when you look at the fruit. Now, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, well, uh, you know, I, we're, we're supposed to be studying the Bible. He's talking about jello. And we liken jello to the state of the, the softest jello. We liken jello to the state of the heart. Soft. Circumcision before the Lord. In Christ is the only way a female can be circumcised. Of the flesh, only males. Of the spirit, male or female. You see? Circumcision of heart. When a heart is soft like jello. But then a heart can grow hard. A heart can grow hard where it becomes balsa. It becomes maple. It becomes oak. It becomes pine or it can be stone. Stone, not good. Pine isn't good. Maple's not good. Balsa's not good. Jello, that's beautiful. And that's what we want. Jesus says in verse 44, how can you believe? Who receive honor from another? You see, it's, it's like an old boys club. The old boys club, you know, they, 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 uh, the religious establishment. You receive honor from one another, he says, and do not seek the honor. This is a different type of honor. The honor from men, that's one thing. But Jesus is speaking about a different kind of honor. The honor that comes from the only God. Because the honor that comes from the Lord, people will hate you. It's the kind of honor that gets you killed because people will hate you. It's very important to understand. 
Look at the honor that came from God unto Jesus. Yes, beautiful. But in the earthly ministry of Jesus, he was hated. He was killed. You see? In verse 45, do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. It's like, wait a second. Well, Jesus says, I'm not going to accuse you. He says, you guys are already accused. There is one who accuses you. You see the accusation? It's already there. Moses, in whom you trust. Do you know how hardcore that is to say to a Pharisee? Oh, we're hardcore. We follow Moses. And listen, Moses accuses you. You see? For if, Jesus says, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me. You see? For he wrote about me. But if you not if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? You see, Torah, the commandments, the statutes, there's a door. Just like the example we gave, you know, we go back in time, we see somebody get stoned. That's scary. That's terrifying. It's like, you know, say, for example, we arrive on the scene, you know, we're getting our time machine. We go back in time. We arrive on the scene and we see the guy get stoned and we, you know, we're, we're terrified. Like what in the world happened? So we ask somebody, hey, what in the world happened? You say, well, the, the guy committed murder. Whoa, okay. I'm not playing around. I'm not going to commit murder. You see? I look at you. Hey, are you going to commit murder? You say, no way. I'm not committing murder because I saw that and I'm terrified. You see? And in that, we learn the fear of the Lord. Now, I'm not advocating stoning. The law is still in effect. But there is only one who can execute the law. And that's Jesus. And he refrains from executing the law. Why? Because that door of grace and mercy, it's still open. It's going to be closed pretty soon. But it's still open. You see, and it's very important when you understand the old covenant, new covenant, promise, law, fulfillment of the law, grace and mercy. It's not to return to the law, which, you know, which happens in the Hebrew Roots Movement, which is unbiblical. But it's to understand that, yes, there is glory in the law, but it's the lesser glory. Sometimes people say, well, wait a second. It's like, are, are you advocating the law? Do you think that, you know, this person, this, this person should be stoned? These people should be stoned. This guy should be killed. This lady should be killed and, be, you know, stoning to death. Now, wait a second. Hold on. It should be me who's stoned to death. It should be me. Because the wages of my sin is death. But that's why I love Jesus so much because God took my sin and put it on Jesus Christ and he'll do it for you too. I mean, if you're a believer, he's done it for you. But if you're not a believer, he's done. He, he can do it for you too, but he doesn't make robots. You have to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And it's so easy. It's a, you know, the Lord doesn't make it hard. He doesn't say, you know, do you believe in me? You say, yes. He says, okay, now memorize the catechisms. You see, he doesn't do that. That's man. He said, you know, do you believe me? Yes, I believe in you. Okay, now, you know, go worship Mary, you know, midnight mass the whole night. No, that's man. That's what people do. That's what the fools do. 
I mean, the, the foolish teachers. They're the ones that teach that and propagate that. But the Bible? Jesus is the one who says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what that means? That means his yoke is easy and his burden is light. You see, it's so simple. And that was one of Paul's phobias when Paul says to the saints in Corinth, he says, listen, I'm afraid for you guys. Because he says, I fear for you guys. You know, phobia, he indicates his phobia to the church. And he says, I'm afraid for you guys because when these guys come in, not if, he says, when they come in, the pseudodelphos, the servants of Satan, they present themselves as ministers of righteousness. They play the part. He looks like a pastor. He looks like an elder. He looks like a teacher. But they spew poison. And Paul's fear was, you guys, you Christians, you saints, my brothers, my sisters in Christ, whom I love. He says, you guys are going to put up with it. You see, in the case of Corinth, they did put up with it. In the case of Galatia, they did put up with it. You see? And it's so powerful to understand. Here in verse 47, in John chapter 5, Jesus says, But if you did not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? You see, the fear of the Lord is a, that alone is a learned thing. To learn the fear of the Lord. And that's what's so powerful. It just, you know, we're not in Old Testament times. We're not in Old Testament times. You know, you, you know that, that example, you know, we go back in time, we see a stoning. It's like, okay, that's a very quick way to learn the fear of the Lord. And, you know, in that example, you learn the fear of the Lord. It's like, okay, I'm not going to kill a guy. I'm not going to, you know, uh, uh, do the sex. I'm not going to do the drugs. I'm not going to do the crack, you know, because you fear the Lord. Like, okay, look, I don't want to hit stones, so I'm not messing around. I'm going to follow the law. But when you do that, I mean, back in time, we go back in time. So when you do that, all of a sudden you learn, oh, wait a second, something is happening. Where you see people who don't have the fear of the Lord, you see them getting into all kinds of problems. And then you realize, well, wait a second, you know, I had the fear of the Lord and I didn't do the sex, the drugs, the crack, you know, the murder, all this and that. And I didn't do those things. And these other people, they have all kinds of mess in their life. But all of a sudden, your life, it's like, wow, you don't have that. Your home, your tent, you don't have that. You don't have the mess. It's nice and serene and peaceful in your tent. Then you learn, wow, you know, I used to fear the Lord and I still fear the Lord. But now I trust in him. I trust in his ways because I look around and people are doing the sex and the drugs, the crack, the murder, this and that. You see a stoning over here, a stoning over there. And there's all kinds of mess and, you know, it's just a lot of heartache and okay, that, you know, but in your tent, it's peace. You have peace in your heart. You have peace in your tent. There's peace in your home. Crazy town is everywhere else. Because they haven't learned to trust the Lord. But you have. And it started with the fear of the Lord. You see? And you fear the Lord and now you trust in the Lord. You trust in his ways. You say, wait a second, you know, you know, the Lord says, you know, don't commit murder. And, you know, and it's not that, you know, the act of murder, there's that too. But what does it take for the act of murder? Hatred. Just like it just so happens we spoke on this on Wednesday. 
hatred. And when there's hate in the heart, that's not good. So murder, the, 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 the penalty of murder, that was terrifying, which is stoning. So using that fear, the Lord, there's the opportunity to learn, yes, the fear of the Lord, but after the fear of the Lord and in the fear of the Lord, trusting the Lord. And then you realize like, wait a second, you know, I don't have hatred in my heart. I love this guy. I'm not going to kill him. Yeah, he did me wrong, but I love him. You see? And you learn not to covet. Like, wow, there, you know, there's this lady over here. Wow, I love her. She's beautiful. I'm not going to do anything crazy, but she's beautiful. She's going to make a, a good wife one day. You see? And all of a sudden you start to learn like, wow, you, you, it hits the heart. The law, it hits the heart. Remember the example we gave where, you know, you in our Old Testament studies where you wake up in the morning and you see like a, a wandering ox and you wake up super early, everybody's asleep. You could take that ox and say, you know what, that ox is mine. I'm going to put him with my, with my flock. But no, because when the heart in the law and through the law becomes soft, all of a sudden you realize, wow, that's a, that's the stray ox of my neighbor, my friend. And say he's poor and that ox he got by, you know, his, his son became a servant of a rich guy and the trade was for ox. And so like that ox, say it's like, you know, like you, 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 you take a thousand dollars, a thousand dollars to a rich guy. That's like, dinner at a nice restaurant you know that's like that's nothing but you take a thousand dollars to a poor person that's a lot of money that's like that could hold them over i mean depending on where you are in the world that could hold a person off for the year one thousand dollars but for a rich guy it's a night on a night out on the town you know no crazy business but that's like you know a nice dinner you know a, a symphony but to a poor person and the same thing applies. The ox to a rich guy, an ox. You know, there's multitudes of ox. But to a poor guy who's never had an ox, who's only had turtle doves, never even had a sheep, never had lambs, he's only had turtle doves, that ox, that's a big deal. And so you wake up in the morning, you're the first one awake, and you see a stray ox. Oh, look, he got loose. He wasn't tied down properly because whoever had him isn't accustomed to the ways of the ox and how they twist and turn and loosen a rope and all this. And they're not accustomed to it. All he's had is turtle doves. He's never had an ox. He's... And he's asleep. It's early in the morning. He's asleep, sound asleep. And it is true that you could take that ox and put him among yours. And you know, hey, look, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. But God sees. That's a wicked heart. Oh, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. That's a wicked heart. That's wickedness. You see? When you learn to trust in the Lord and love the Lord and your heart is soft. Remember, we're in our time machine. We went back in time. This is in old covenant times. You say, wait a second. 
this ox is like a prized possession. His son is, you know, in the servitude of the rich guy. And that's how he was able to acquire these oxen. So this ox is a big deal to this guy. And so I know he's sleeping. He's in his tent. So I'm going to let him sleep. I don't want to wake him up. I'm going to take his ox and I'm going to tie him up over here. Then, you know, you tend to your morning duties or whatever. It's like mid-morning. You see the guy. He's finally awakened. He's had his cup of coffee, whatever, you know. Say, hey, neighbor, how you doing? And you seem kind of worried, like, oh, I just realized I'm missing my ox. He's, hey, wait, wait, wait. Listen, I don't want you to worry. Calm your beautiful heart. Calm your beautiful... Because remember, that soft heart, your soft heart, you don't want your neighbor to worry. You don't want... It's not like, oh, ha, 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 he's worrying and ha, 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 you know, losers, weepers, finders, weepers, and I got this ox and wow, I've added him to my assets. My asset portfolio is much better. And look, the Lord has provided. No, that's wickedness. You say, calm down, brother. Listen, I love you. I don't want you to worry at all. Don't worry. Look at you were sleeping. You were sleeping and I didn't want to wake you, but I saw your ox. And look, here he is right here. Let's go over here. Look, here he is. Let me show you how to tie him. Maybe, you know, you didn't know how to tie him because I know you just had the turtle doves. You've been accustomed to the turtle doves and... Look, this is how you tie him. This is how you tie the ox. And now he's not going to get away anymore. You see? You're so concerned about your neighbor's heart. Listen, don't you fret, my beautiful neighbor. Don't you fret your beautiful heart. Your ox is taken care of. He's right here. Look, I fed him. You don't have to worry about feeding him. He's had his breakfast. I took care of him. Here, here he is. This is the law. That's what happens in the law, but not to everybody. It's not to everybody. It's to those with ears and eyes, eyes to see and ears to understand. It is not for everybody. You see? You know, in the law, you know, Joshua had it. You see, Moses had it. Caleb had it. Hannah had it. You see? Ruth had it. All these beautiful people that we see in the Old Testament. It's so beautiful to see these accounts. People who had ears to hear and eyes to see. And so we go back to Hebrews. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 3. And in Hebrews chapter 3, we see in Verse 3, you know, for, for this one, speaking of Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. In verse 4, for every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. He who built all things is God. Remember, remember our study in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9? You are God's building. That's you. That's you. Male, female, young, old, I don't care. But that's you. You believe in Jesus Christ? That's you. You're God's building. But remember, we make a distinction between field and worker. You're uh, in, in ministry, a ministry leader, teacher, pastor, elder, you know, uh, 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 serving in tables. 
make the distinction between field and worker. You see? But it's so powerful to understand when we see the old covenant interpreting the new, the new interpreting the old, understanding the full counsel of the word of God, the nature and character of our Lord, how powerful it is how the word of God comes alive. And don't forget, the word became flesh. To dwell among us, which is to tabernacle. Oneness, intimacy with the Lord. And so we see here in verse 4, And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. Now, this testimony, marturion in the Greek, which is a witness, testimony, and evidence. Say, for example, there's a courtroom setting and a court case that has five witnesses. All are witnesses. You have five witnesses. All are witnesses. But one is a chief witness who has a first-hand account that's not hearsay. I mean, the, the others can't give hearsay, but I mean, it's like firsthand. Somebody might have witnessed, you know, uh, one little aspect of an account and someone might have witnessed another aspect of account, but somebody was, the chief witness was like the straight up eyewitness who was there, saw the actual event of whatever's being testified about. Now, witnesses are found all over the Bible, all over the Bible, male, Female, young, old, there's witnesses all over the Bible. Hannah, she's a witness. Moses, he's a witness. You see, Samuel, he's a witness. Witnesses are found today. And these witnesses of today, the word of God is nestled deep in their heart. Deep in your heart. A witness for Jesus Christ. But remember, there are qualifications, biblical qualifications. And I don't say that for an elitist mindset. I say it for warning. I'll give you an example. Because somebody can say, well, somebody can say anything they want about Jesus Christ. They can say whatever they want about Jesus Christ. Whether or not what they say is true, it better align with the Word of God. Genesis to Revelation. It better align with the Word of God. If it doesn't, you know who he is. You know who she is. If it doesn't. But if it does, the same is also true. You know who they are. Very important. I don't, you know, to give this example of, you know, witnesses of Jesus Christ. Yes, it's beautiful. There's... Many, many witnesses for Jesus Christ. Many. But don't forget, there are qualifiers. There are qualifications. And I don't say qualifications for, for uh, uh, in, a, in a pastor sense or in an elder sense, in an overseer sense. But just qualifications. I mean, somebody says, oh, yeah, let, let, me, let, let me give you a, a witness of, of Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm a witness for Jesus Christ. Let's go grave soaking. Wait a second. You might follow Jesus, but that's the lowercase j. That's another Jesus. That's not the biblical Jesus. 
You see? Oh, I'm a Christian. Let me give you a witness for Jesus. Oh, you know, let, you know let's go take the mark of the beast and still be saved because that, that's what this pastor says. He says it's okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's unbiblical. You see, people can say whatever they want about Jesus Christ. But whether or not it's true, it must align with the word of God. Whether or not you follow, it must align with the word of God. And that's why there's so much emphasis that we place on formula. You see, formula. And so we see here in verse 5 that yes, Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. You see, Moses was a servant. Now, that's a very harsh statement in some circles. You know, Moses as a servant, are you kidding me? He's like the patriarch of our faith, you know? Like sometimes I have these conversations with, with the, uh, uh, the Jews, uh, some, some rabbis. It's like, well, wait a second, you know, the, Moses is no small thing. Moses is a big deal. It's like, yes, I understand, but he's a servant. His testimony, his testimony, just as it's written here in verse 5, that Moses indeed was faithful in all his house, God's house, as a servant for a testimony of those things which would, which would be spoken afterward. You see? And his testimony, the testimony of Moses, gave witness to a coming one. That's why Jesus says what we just looked at in John 5. Moses wrote about me. You see? Jesus says to the Pharisees, listen, I don't accuse you. Moses does. Moses, in whom you believe, he accuses you. Because Moses wrote about me. I mean, you take all these witnesses found in the word of God, Old Testament and New Testament, you know, in a court proceeding, the same court proceeding, the five witnesses, they say it's not five, say it's just, just calling witnesses. Your honor, I call Moses to the stand. Well, he's going to give an account of Jesus Christ. He, when he says Moses spoke about me, that's what Jesus says in John 5. And what Moses, his testimony in, in verse 5 here in Hebrews 3, his testimony as a servant in the master's house. He's his testimony of, of those things which would be spoken afterwards, as is written here in verse 5. Your honor, I call Moses to the stand. The testimony is going to be of Jesus. Your honor, I call Joshua to the stand. Jesus, he's, he's going to testify of Jesus. Your honor, I call Hannah to the stand. Jesus. Your honor, I call Timothy to the stand. Jesus. Your honor, I call Epaphroditus to the stand. Jesus. Every single person gives witness to Jesus. You see? Every single person gives witness to Jesus. Your honor, I call and then put your name there. You might be listening. Say your name is Stanley and you're listening. Your Honor, I call Stanley to the stand. Put your name there. And you give witness to Jesus. Whose word is above his name. See? So great a cloud of witnesses surround us. 
witnesses found in the Old Testament, New Testament, and even today, very specific to formula. Somebody say, you, you know, your, your honor, I called a grave soaker to the stand. Well, he's not going to give a testimony to Jesus. You see, it doesn't fit. Everybody gives witness to Jesus Christ. And that's what we see here in among the faithful servant. And we're speaking about these servants. Moses. I mean, that's hardcore to speak of Moses as a servant in some circles. That's a big deal. Blasphemy in some circles. I mean, worthy of death in some circles. And Jesus Christ was crucified. And a servant is not greater than his master. A servant is not greater than her master. We speak of Christ here in verse 6, but Christ as son over his own house, over his own house. Now, remember the example we gave in our Old Testament studies where, you know, you know, if you're a servant in Canaan, not, not, not good. You're, you're probably going to die. You're probably going to be used and abused and you're going to be killed if you're a servant in Canaan. But, you know, if you're a servant in Israel, it's, it's not so bad. So you and me, we go back in that time machine. You and me were servants in our master's house. And you figure like, oh my goodness, we're servants. Like, you know. We're not accustomed to the ways of Israel. We're, 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 we're servants in, you know, a rich guy's tent in Israel, in the camp of Israel. But then in the course of time, we realize like, oh my goodness, this, this guy is beautiful. He doesn't beat us. He doesn't do anything crazy with us. He's like, you know, he treats us fairly. We, we sit at the table with him. We have a nice meal with him. And oh my goodness, I'm falling in love with our master. I look at you and say, well, you know, do you feel the same way? Am I, am I crazy here? And you say, yeah, you're crazy, but you know what? I love him too. So we're crazy together. And all of a sudden, we're, we're servants in his house. And we fall in love with him. And all of a sudden, in the course of time, we say, you know what, master? Master, I know, you know, he says to us, you know, you have the opportunity to be free now. You've done your time. In accordance to the law, we say, Master, no, 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 Master. We love you and we desire to be bondservants, Master. And he gets, you know, teary-eyed like, wow, you know what? I love you too. I love you too. And he grants, you know, yes, you know, be bondservants. And so we have our ears pierced, you know, the, the right ear, the all, the, the all in the ear, the hole in the ear. And so all of a sudden, you know, when, when he has guests in his house and we're servants, people can see, wow, this guy had the opportunity to be free, but he loves his master. That's one side. That's one side of this intimacy. This guy loves his master. This lady loves her master. This girl loves her master. This boy loves her master. Young, old, it doesn't matter. That's one side. The other side is the master loves them too. You see? Now there's more. The master has a son. Now, 
One might expect the son won't want anything to do with the help because we're servants. But he gets down and dirty with us. He gets down and dirty with us and teaches us to be servants under a new covenant. So he's the son. The house is his as in only begotten. But then we go even deeper. The son is also husband. The servants together as one is also bride. These are holy matters. Very, very holy. And so, you know, if you've been walking with us for a while and you reflect back on our studies in Exodus and Leviticus and blueprints being given, blueprints being followed, it's like you see the ups and the downs and even the beauty of aspects of the law. Not just the beauty of aspects, but just straight up the beauty of the law. Once the seed has come and the seed has come and the seed is Christ, then you realize like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, what God has done. Because it's glorious. It's beautiful. And yes, Moses was a servant in the house, but Christ in verse 6, as son over his own house, whose house we are. Now, in some circles, and you know, to my Jewish friends, you might hear, well, well, the house of Jacob and the house of Simeon and the house of Dan. And biblically, these are heads of families, but biblically, they also bow down to one greater. And to my Jewish friends, you might say, well, that's preposterous. And you might rebuke me. Don't forget, there was another who was rebuked by Dan, Simeon, and even Jacob. His name was Joseph. And this Joseph also had a Gentile wife. And these heads of family, to include Jacob, in the course of time, eventually they bowed down to Joseph. Your Honor, I called Joseph to the stand. To those who have ears. You see how holy, how beautiful and how holy the law is? I'm not advocating the law in saying that. But the law is the lesser glory which makes way for the greater glory. And that's Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High. And in verse 6, we see Jesus as son over his own house, whose house we are, if, if. Now, this, it's not since. It's not the word since. It's not, you know, over his own house, whose house we are, since we hold fast the confidence. No, it's if. The word is if. A word of conditionality. Once saved, always saved. That's unbiblical. The biblical formula is once saved, stay saved. And sometimes people want to enter into argument. Oh, we're not saved by works. 
We're not saved by works. Listen, in that I fully agree. We are not saved by works. The onset of salvation, faith and belief in Jesus, it's not of works lest anyone should boast as is written in Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 2 verse 8, it is written, For by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. That's how it happened. The onset of salvation. For in, ver- in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You see, and this is important to understand because sometimes people say, oh, I'm going to clean up my life. I'm going to let me, let me clean up my life first and then I'll get right with God. No, that's not how it works. You get right with God and God cleans up your life. As the saying goes, Jesus cleans his own fish. You see? There's another avenue where, you know, people say, well, God can't save me because of my filth. That's where, that's where I was 25 years ago. Because of my filth, I'm so far beyond the ability and the capability of God to fix me. But I couldn't be further from the truth in that thought and you read ephesians 2 yeah for grace you have been saved and that's the onset of belief and salvation and then it is written in ephesians 2 for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works very interesting what we see here so we're not saved by works but then we see that we are saved Four works. So which is it? Are we not saved by works or are we saved for works? Which is it? I'll give you the answer. It's both. Works. It's a package deal. And the package deal of works has the accompaniment of faith. You see? Your Honor, I call Brother James to the stand. And what does Brother James give witness? He says that faith and works are inseparable. The two are together. Faith and works, belief and obedience. And so, you know, it is written in Ephesians 2 that, you know, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, this is where the Calvinists go a little crazy here. Well, I shouldn't say a little crazy, a lot crazy because they have their concept of predestination. But if you're Curious to know about biblical predestination? Go to thewayunderground.com and the Reformed Theology and learn about predestination according to the Bible. Very important to understand we are living in the last days. And so a lot of times it's like, well, wait a second. So if we're, we're, it's the package deal, We're we're not saved by works, which is true, the onset of salvation. 
but then we're saved for works. It's a package deal. Faith and works working together. You remember not too long ago, we gave the example of the thief on the cross. Not to be heretical in saying this, but what if the thief on the cross, the one who Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise, him. What if, not to be heretical or suggest heresy, but what if he came down off the cross? What if he came down off the cross? Well, every day from that point, he would have to still abide in Jesus Christ. Every day, he would have to abide in Christ for him to be in paradise. You see? I mean, if the thief on the cross who Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise, and not to be heretical in saying this, but just to prove a point, if he came down off that cross, in order for that to be effectuated paradise for him, it would require obedience to Jesus Christ. It would require abiding in Jesus Christ. The same thing applies to you and me today. There is a crown that awaits you, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister. There is a crown that awaits you. It has your name on it. But whether or not you and I, whether or not you or I will put it on our heads, it requires obedience to Jesus Christ. It requires abiding in Jesus Christ. Turn it to me really quick to Luke chapter 8. It's a verse that we read quite a bit, and we're going to keep reading it quite a bit. In Luke chapter 8, verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, which is a good thing. Okay, cool. They, they receive the word of God. Praise the Lord. They, they hear the word of God. Praise the Lord. It says they receive the word. Wow. Praise the Lord with joy. Oh, my goodness. Praise the Lord. Everything is good. But there's a problem. Notice what happens in verse 13, Luke 8. But these have no root. Who believe, which is a good thing, they they hear the word, they receive the word, and they have joy. And joy is a gift. But they believe for a while. It's not for the long haul. This person is a short-term believer, not for the long haul. And notice what happens here. And in time of temptation, fall away. I remember people say all the time, you know, like, we're saved by faith. We're not saved by works. Yes, it's true. We're saved by faith, not by works. But the onset of faith, salvation, praise be to the Lord. What about tomorrow? What about next week? What about next month? What about next year? What about next decade? You see? We believe in Jesus Christ. Praise be the Lord. We believe and we abide in Jesus Christ. But that's day one. What about day two? What about day 500? Who is it that still abides in Christ? Remember, faith and works are inseparable. It's a package deal. It's not the gift of faith and the gift of works. No, it's faith and works working together. We're saved not by works. 
saved four works. And this requires obedience. And the short-term believer, which Jesus speaks of in Luke chapter 8, verse 13, doesn't have this. False teachers don't teach it. When I think of Luke chapter 8, verse 13, and I think of Christians, and they receive the word with joy, and they believe, and they're Christians. But in time of temptation, fall away, I want to know who in the world is their pastor. Who in the world is their teacher? What in the world are they teaching? For once saved, always saved. To even be taught. Who are their pastors? Who are their teachers? Because that's an unbiblical concept. Once saved, always saved. Don't forget, names can be blotted out from the book of life. Don't forget. Names can enter, names can be blotted. And I don't say that to like cause anxiety to anybody. But don't forget, a little fear works wonders in the life of the Christian. A little fear works wonders, and I say that from experience. You see, I don't want anybody to come to Christ the way I did. And a little fear works wonders, and here we are. Brother James gives testimony. And he speaks of Abraham and Isaac highlighting obedience unto God. It's very important to understand. And so we see here in verse 6 that Christ as a son over his own house whose house we are if, if, if we hold fast, which is in the Greek, to seize, take, and stay. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end, to our very last breath, be steadfast in our Lord Jesus. Verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and I love this because the writer of Hebrews here now quotes the psalmist. Remember, servants in the same house, same spirit, same mind. Everything fits perfectly. Have you ever read the Bible? You're reading something that Paul wrote. And it aligns perfectly to something that James spoke of. Or an account where Peter said, and it aligns to what James said, and it aligns to what his, uh, uh, what, what, uh, 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 Joel says, or what Isaiah says, or it aligns perfectly to what Moses says, or what Joshua says, or what Hannah says, or how Ruth acts. Not just what they say, but also how certain people act. You know why that is? It's because it's the same spirit, the same mind, same household, same family. It's the family of faith. I meant for Jesus to say, Moses wrote of me. From the Pharisees' perspective, who searched the scriptures, it was craziness for them. 
But from the Berean perspective, who searched the scriptures, that was music to them. Beautiful, beautiful, sweet music to them. You see? And what John writes aligns perfectly to what Isaiah writes. You see, everything aligns perfectly. Same household, same family, same mind, same Lord. It's his house. In verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Remember, we want jello. We want jello. The hardening of the heart is not good. And people say, oh, but God hardens hearts. Yes, he, God does harden hearts. But he's not the only one. The bearer has a role too. You see? But God hardened Pharaoh's heart, people say. Yes, he did. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But don't forget, Pharaoh had a role to play as well. The bearer of the heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then boom, God hardened his heart. You see? When a heart is jello, we want jello to stay jello. But that doesn't always happen. Sometimes jello turns into balsa wood, which is a soft wood. But it definitely, it's not jello. So it ain't jello, it's balsa now. Now, in order for balsa to go back to jello, repentance, humility, repentance, that's required. But does it happen? Hopefully it does, but does it happen all the time? No. Because false teachers teach once saved, always saved. So a heart goes from jello to balsa. Somebody thinks, okay, there's no, no nothing wrong with that because once saved, always saved. My heart was jello, but the person doesn't realize their heart is balsa. You see the false teacher, the pseudodelphos, the servants of Satan? They've done their work. They've done their bidding unto their master, Satan. So a heart goes from Jello to balsa, and the person thinks he or she is good to go. No problem here. I'm a believer. Once saved, always saved. And then all of a sudden, the heart goes from balsa to maple. It's harder. It's definitely not jello. It's not definitely not balsa, but now it's maple. And the person thinks like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm good to go. Once saved, always saved. And walking according to the flesh, all of a sudden starts doing drugs, alcohol, sex, the whole nine yards, the strippers, gambling. Now it goes from uh, maple, now it's oak. It's not the hardest wood, but it's definitely not maple. It's definitely not uh, balsa. And it's most definitely not jello. We want it to be jello, but it's not jello. And the false teacher who has taught one saved, always saved, one saved, always saved, one saved, always saved, one saved, always saved. That person doesn't realize that he's in trouble. That person doesn't realize that she's in trouble because now their heart is oak. Now you have more sex, more drugs, more alcohol, more casinos, more strippers, you know, more Buddha, more of this, and now pine. 
It's not looking in the whole time. Oh, look, uh, once saved, always saved. God is sovereign. Oh, that guy's in trouble. And just like Pharaoh, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Hearts, hearts can harden from God and from the bearer. There are two roles. And just like Pharaoh, the heart gets harder and harder. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then all of a sudden, God stepped in and God hardened his heart. It's a form of judgment. It's a, it's a form of wrath. I mean, you read Romans 1. It's a form of wrath. God's wrath is coming to this world, but God's wrath comes on individuals. You see? It happens. And the whole time a person doesn't realize the satanic seduction. The satanic seduction to get the heart from jello all the way to pine. Because Satan knows when a heart is pine, the next step is the heart of stone. Satan knows that. And so he'll whisper, hey, look, check this out over here. Little sidestep left. Hey, check this out over here. Another sidestep left. Left, sidestep, 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 boom, fall. You see? And Satan seduces with candy. He doesn't, he, Satan isn't going to lure and say, hey, check this out. You come with me and I'm going to kick you in the face every five minutes. He doesn't say that. He lures with candy. And this writer of Hebrews, writing to Christians, writing to Christians, Remember the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, from verse 1? Is reminding the saints. In verse 7, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. You see? In the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Now, don't forget the 11-day journey became 40 years. And yes, it's sad. If, if you've been walking with us for a while, you understand. Those were, there were, those were hard studies or studies through numbers. Those were very, very difficult studies when you see the ups and the downs of Israel. But look at the ups and downs of Christians today. Where are the teachers? Where are the pastors? And the 11-day journey became 40 years. And yes, it was sad, but God stayed with Israel. He showed himself faithful. But fidelity has another aspect as well. What about the people? What about fidelity unto God, which is a choice? I mean, when, when, when all Israel was defiled, look at Moses and Joshua. When all Israel was defiled, look at Joshua and Caleb. You see, a remnant. They made their choice. Ball was in their court and they made their choice. They chose wisely. And it is written here in verse 10, Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray. See, this is the camp. The camp and the camp are different. Now you're like, wait a second. What? 
he said the camp, right? So the camp and the camp, and you hear me say they're different. Well, carnally speaking, the camp of Israel has a very specific layout. Remember our study in the in the, in the book of Numbers and in, in the form of a cross? When we mentioned the drone, like if we go back in time and we see the camp of Israel, but we bring a drone with us and we launch the drone and it's up high, you look down and you're going to see a cross on the ground. The way it is written for, you know, the, the instructions, the blueprints for the camp to be laid out, it's in the form of a cross. Listen to our study through the book of Numbers, our studies. You'll understand more. And carnally speaking, the camp of Israel has a very specific layout. But spiritually speaking, the camp of Israel has another layout. And it is seen among those who obey. It's the remnant. And verse 10 says, they always go astray in their hearts. Oh, in their hearts. You see? They always go astray in their hearts. Which translates as they earnestly and regularly wander and go astray. But it's in their hearts. Don't forget when the 11-day journey, which turned into 40 years, that form of going astray. I mean, do you remember when, 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 when we, our, our study through the book of Numbers when the Lord says, okay, go and fight against the Canaanites. And the people were afraid. The people were afraid. And then all of a sudden they say, no, we're, we're not going to go against the Canaanites. And so the Lord speaks to Moses, okay, now 11 days, it turns into 40 years. And then Moses says that to the people and the people say, okay, now we'll go fight the Canaanites. Well, wait a second. Now things are a little different because the formula in Israel is different. Because when that fear, the, the, the fear of the Canaanites, it wasn't in their heart until the Lord says, hey, go fight the Canaanites. And then when they says, through fear of the Canaanites, notice the fear isn't of the Lord. The fear is of the Canaanites. They say, no, we're not going to go. And because of that form of disobedience, the Lord says, okay, now this 11 days, it turns into 40 years. But carnally speaking of locale, they didn't move. They didn't move. It was in the, the, the same location. They didn't move. They, I mean, they're in a position. The Lord says to Moses, Moses, tell my people to go fight Can the Canaanites. And they're in the same position. And Moses says, okay, thus saith the Lord, hey, everybody, we got to go fight the Canaanites. And the people are like, no, we don't want to. They're going to kill us. We're afraid. And so the Lord speaks to Moses. Okay, Moses. Now this 11 days, it's going to be 40, 40 years. And so Moses says, okay, since you guys are afraid, this 11 day journey, it's going to be 40 years. And now all of a sudden they say, oh, okay, now we'll go. Now we'll go because they didn't want the 40 years, which is understandable. 
But speaking of locale, that never changed. That they were in the same spot. But their heart wasn't. Their heart wasn't. Their heart went astray. The hearts went astray. They were physically, literally in the same position. But their hearts weren't in tune with that of the Lord. Their hearts were astray. And the Lord says here in verse 10, and they have not known my ways. You see, remember, in the Torah, remember our studies in the five books of Moses, the law, there is a door. The Pharisees, they were blind and they were deaf. They did not, the capital D door was speaking to them and they were blind and deaf. Because in the law is learned fear of the Lord, trust in the Lord, and love of the Lord. But whether or not that happens in a person, male, female, young, old, balls in the person's court. You see? Balls in their court. Just like the, the example we gave where, you know, let's go in the time machine. We get in the time machine, we go back in time. Yes, in the law, we can learn, learn to love the Lord, but whether or not that's effectuated, there's some steps. The fear of the Lord, trust in the Lord, and the love in the Lord. You see? Doesn't happen to, the law, that's for everybody. I mean, old covenant times. That's for everybody. And the law is still in effect today. I shouldn't say the law is, you know, in effect for old covenant. The law is still in effect, but there's a new covenant. But whether or not people abide in the new covenant, balls in your court, just just like with the old, balls in your court, you see? Now, the law is a tutor. Galatians 3, verse 24, the law is a tutor, and the tutor points to Christ. And brings us to Christ. That's why Jesus says Moses wrote about me. Now once a person is brought to Christ, there's another step. Enter Christ. Abide in Christ. Now once that happens, it fulfills Galatians 3 verse 25. We are no longer under a tutor. You see? We are no longer under a tutor. You say, wow, we're going back to the Old Testament quite a bit. We're supposed to be, you know, it's Sunday. We're supposed to be studying the New Testament. But don't forget, we're in the book of Hebrews. And this writer of Hebrews is likening the camp of Israel to that of the church, both Jew and Gentile. And says, I'll read it again. In verse 7. As the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart and have not known my ways, not known my ways. Now, remember, God is reactionary. God is reactionary. So we see in verse 11, So I swore in my wrath, 
they shall not enter my rest. Now, first generation died. Remember our study in the Old Testament. If you've been walking with us for a while, you know this. But if you're a new listener, go back and listen to those studies. Old Testament studies. First generation, they died. An Old Testament example of you and me. Our first generation, and I speak of the ways of Adam, which leads to death. But born again into Christ, life and life everlasting. You see? And it's the second generation that passed into the promised land. In verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Remember, this is written to Christians. Christians. And this is where people get into trouble because they say, well, Hebrews is written for the Jews, so this doesn't really apply to me. That's wrong. Hebrews, remember, in Christ, there's no Jew nor Gentile. These these verses are powerful. Every These are... You say, wait a second, you're going back to the Old Testament and you're looking at these studies through numbers and talking about the law, Leviticus. and Do you remember our studies? If you've been walking with us for a while, do you remember our studies where in the law, and we mentioned this quite a bit, in the law, provisions in the law, for Gentiles to be grafted into the camp of Israel. You see, both Jew and Gentile. And the writer of Hebrews, if you will hear this Holy Spirit, if you will hear his voice, as the Holy Spirit says in verse 7, and the writer is giving a warning to Christians, lest there be an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now this evil heart translates as hurtful, wicked, of the devil, but it's in a degenerative manner. You see, it's seduction. It's seduction. And so many times Christians say, oh, but we're regenerated. We're regenerated. Yes, I understand regeneration. But don't be degenerated. You see, and a lot of Christians aren't taught this. Degeneration. To become degenerate. And that's what happens. Degeneracy. Remember, you know, the works of the flesh as a heart goes from... Uh, jello to balsa to maple to oak to pine you'll see the fruit and it's gonna get it's gonna be some nasty fruit jello you're gonna see beautiful fruit balsa you're gonna see okay it's getting a little ugly oak maple oak pine it's gonna be nasty fruit you see degenerative where a person oh yeah you know one saved always saved but then you're gonna see like wait a second whoa Why is he going to the strip clubs? Why is he going to the prostitutes? You see? Why is he worshiping Buddha? You know, why why is he worshiping Mary? Why is he going to midnight mass? You see, why is he going to the casino? And the whole time, you know, oh, once saved, always saved. You know, look, once saved, always saved. I'm good to go. And you see degeneration. 
You see? And this is common in Calvinist and Reformed churches where heavy, heavy emphasis is placed on regeneration, which is regeneration is biblically true, but according to Calvin, that's biblically inaccurate. But according to the Bible, biblically true. But also true is degeneration. And the Calvinists and Reformed don't teach this. Why? Because they teach once saved, always saved. But the Bible is explicitly clear. Explicitly clear. Verse 12, beware, brethren. Beware, brethren. It's to the church, it's to Christians. Lest there be in any of you, in verse 12, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. This is a falling away from the living God. This is straight up Luke chapter 8, verse 13, what we read. The falling away. Which is impossible according to Calvinism and Reformed theology. But those theologies are unbiblical. You see? That's why you hear us say from time to time, jump ship, come out of her, my people, because it's dangerous. It's dangerous, dangerous theology. And this is one of many signs of the last days, the great falling away. We're going to see Luke 8, verse 13, the falling away. We're going to see that in overdrive in the last days, and we're already seeing it. It's one of the things I love about the last days. Not the falling away, not the sorrows and the trials, but the dogmas that will be put to the test. Majorly, majorly put to the test. And I love it. You know why? Because every single one of these dogmas, of these theologies, they will fail. Every single one of them will fail, except for one. Except for one. There is only one that would be left standing. There is only one way. And that's Jesus Christ. The real Jesus, whose word is above his name. And so we see in verse 13, so there's the warning in verse 12 to beware. But then there's, okay, like, so what do we do? In verse 13, but exhort one another daily. You see, don't forget, exhortation does not exclude warning. People think exhortation, oh, I'm just going to make this guy feel good. Well, if the guy's in sin, tell him, give him warning. Oh, exhortation, you're supposed to make me feel good. Well, listen, if you're in sin, no. Tap, tap, double tap. Not the double, you know, not the bad double tap, the good double tap. Now, if you're listening for the first time, listen to our studies about maturing in Christ. And we go through the letters that Paul wrote to the churches. You'll understand more to help you grow and mature in Christ. And so in verse 13, it is written, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see, the Bible, the word of God teaches us that we want jello hearts. It doesn't say jello, but you know, hearts like jello. I'm paraphrasing. The Bible teaches us about going from, from jello to, to balsa, to maple, to oak, to pine, to stone. The Bible teaches, and that happens through the deceitfulness of sin. And believe, repentance and belief and faith in Jesus Christ, a heart can go from maple or oak, 
back to jello or maybe jello for the first time and praise be to the lord that's how he works but this deceitfulness of sin it's one of the traps of the last days as satan isolates the saints see he knows all about formula he knows all about the formula he knows all about ecclesia love feasts power and gifts of the spirit and what satan does is he presents himself as an angel of light to trick and seduce in order to isolate the saints now once saints are isolated when can daily exhortation happen i mean remember the warning in verse 12 is you know uh, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living god the remedy is exhortation Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And so one of the strategies of Satan in these last days is to isolate the saints. Because once saints are isolated, where is this daily exhortation? While it is called today. When there's no daily exhortation, no daily exhortation and what do we see hearts hardening hearts hardening you can see it observe the fruit you can see it look at what is taught from the pulpit and not just what is taught taught from the pulpit look at what is lived out in the pulpit you see a lot of disqualification at the pulpit. And where you see that, don't expect order in the fellowship. Expect a mess in the fellowship. And what do you see? A mess in the church. It fulfills prophecy that judgment comes first to the church. And the remedy for falling away is exhortation. Daily, what is called today. You see, it's the deceitfulness of sin. It's very interesting here how the exhortation isn't pastor to saints here. It's saint to saint. Now, it could be pastor, pastor to saint. It could be saint to pastor. It could be saint to saint. It's saints. The body caring for the body. And remember, as we mentioned earlier, this is like a remnant example. We're in Philippi environment here. We're not, we're not in a first Corinthians chapter three environment here. We're in a Philippi environment. Paul included the pastors and teachers and overseers and all that's implied. These are remnant teachings. Daily, daily, daily. In verse 13, exhort one another daily. You see, a daily gathering of the saints? Me personally, I would love it. A daily gathering of the saints. I would love it. Beautiful love feast. I would love it. But there's a problem. No one would show up. You see, multitudes would show up. Maybe not multitudes, but the majority, of, you know, depending on size, would show up on a Sunday. You see? But Monday... Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. The isolation of the saints has already begun and it's going to get worse. Satan knows his time is short. You see, 
You and me, we see the signs of the times and we look forward to the coming of Jesus. But Satan, he sees the signs of the times and he fights to prevent love feasts. He fights to prevent people from coming to Jesus. And he explains the signs of the times as, oh, it's climate change. Oh, look, the, you know, the, the, the droughts are over here and the floods are over here. Oh, look, it's climate change and the locusts are over here. And oh, look, it's climate change, climate change, climate change, climate change. You see? Obesity, climate change. Diabetes, climate change. Everything's climate change. You read the Bible, I mean, you know, uh, 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 diabetes isn't there, but I'm just, you know, you know, the, the scientists, the doctors, they use climate change for everything. Everything is climate change. But you read the prophecies, the flooding, the droughts, the heat. And all these things are written as signs of the times. Rivers drying Signs of the times. You look and you you watch the news, you read the newspapers. Oh, it's climate change. You see? His last dead ditch effort, Satan. He knows the signs of the times. He knows all about formula. And he doesn't want koinonia. He doesn't want ecclesia. He doesn't want love feast because he knows if that happens... If that happens, he knows he's in trouble because that's a powerful church. That's a church with the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he knows all about formula. And so this isolation of the saints is already happening. And his last ditch effort is to kill Jews and Christians. The Bible refers to the last days as perilous times for a reason. Because they're perilous. You see? And in verse 14, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. You see, becoming a partaker begins with faith in Jesus. You see? It begins with faith in Jesus. If you're listening and you haven't heeded my prior calls to repent and receive Jesus Christ... Cut it out. Cut it out. I don't say it like, cut it out, you know, how dare you. I say, cut it out like, why? You know, you hear me say that from time to time, you hear me say, I don't want anybody to come to Christ the way I did. You know why? Because I played games with the Lord. I played games with the Lord. Lukewarm. You see? And I fought the Lord. And he messed me up. And praise be to the Lord, because here we are. And I tell you these things from experience. You're not going to find hope in a bottle. You're not going to find hope in the lines. You're not going to find hope in cooking spoons. You're not going to find it with the sex and the drugs and the rock and roll. It's only found in Jesus Christ. In verse 14, we become partakers of Christ. That's what I love so much because 
Remember when Paul would write to the churches? These things of the world, such were some of you. The sex, the drugs, the rock and roll, such were some of you. I'm paraphrasing. Rock and roll isn't in the Bible, but I'm, you know, I'm paraphrasing. Such were some of you. Past tense. And through faith and belief in Jesus Christ, what happens is you reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead. Hey, the crack, that's the old guy. The sex, that's the old guy. The Buddha, that's the old lady. You see, the crystals and the chakras, that's the old lady. You see? And once this partake, we become partakers in, of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 14, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, you see, the writer here says it again, just like as is written in verse 6, that we must stand firm, to be steadfast, to the end. Not for a couple months, not for a couple years, not for a couple decades, every single day. Not to be a short-term believer, we're in it for the long haul. In verse 15, while it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion. You see the writer quotes the psalmist again. Do not harden your hearts. If you hear, don't harden your hearts. And that's what the writer is saying. Remember, this is written to Christians. This is written to Christians. And that's the problem. When you have pastors today say, Oh, this is the book of Hebrews. That's for the Jewish believers. It's not for the Gentile believers. Remember, Apostle and high priest, Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile. In Christ, there is no Jew. There is no Gentile. This is written to Christians. A lot of baby Christians. A lot of baby Christians stay babies. And a lot of baby Christians, they stay babies, but they're in serious trouble because they figure... Well, you know, once saved, always saved. And, you know, so Hebrews is written for the Jews. And, you know, I'm a Gentile, so this doesn't apply to me. So I don't have to heed these warnings. You know, it's. You hear it say jump ship for a reason. It's not jump ship so you can drown in the ocean and say jump ship. You know, welcome aboard. This is written to believers. The book of Hebrews. A beautiful, beautiful, beautiful book. And what's so beautiful is now we have this backdrop of our studies through Torah. It's beautiful. Because it's like, wow, we can, we can see, we can understand. And how beautiful the, the, the wonders of what the Lord has done for you. You know why? Because He loves you. Not willing that you should perish, but have everlasting life. And that only, that only comes through Jesus. This is inside the camp. You're a non-believer, don't harden your heart, believe in Jesus. You are a believer, don't harden your heart, obey Jesus. You see, in verse 16, for who having heard rebelled? Question mark. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Question mark. Very interesting. Now, with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? Now, carnally speaking, corpses don't fall. Corpses have already fallen. You see? 
this first generation of Adam. This is an Old Testament example, but the first generation of Adam is found death. But to be born again, that's a different ballgame. That's life and life everlasting. Remember Jesus when he says, hey, follow me. I'm paraphrasing. He says, follow me. And, you know, we'll follow you, but we got a funeral to go to. We got, we, let us bury our, 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 our relatives first. Let us bury our family first. And what does Jesus say? He says, let the dead bury the dead. Let the dead bury the dead. Now, carnally speaking, they're alive. Well, except for the dead guy or the gal. Carnally speaking, everybody's alive except for the dead person. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. He doesn't say, let your living family bury the dead. He says, let the dead bury the dead. Whoa, that's hardcore. That's so insensitive. Does You mean to tell me that my family is dead? If they're not in Christ, yes. If they're not in Christ, yes. You see? Does it end there? No. Let's go fishing. Let's go fishing, you see? It's very important to understand. When you read the Gospels in chronological order, those very families, they came to Christ. They didn't at first. Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. But in the course of time, they came to Christ. See? And praise be to the Lord, there's always hope. Never, ever, ever lose hope. You have family members, relatives, friends, family. They're not believers in Jesus Christ. Pray for them. Pray for them. We want hearts to be jello. Pray for hearts to be soft. You see? And so that, you know, maybe a heart can't receive Jesus Christ when it's pine. But you pray for a heart to get soft and the heart's not going to be jello outside of Christ. But you can pray for a heart to go from pine to maple. And when it's maple, it's ready to receive Jesus Christ. You see? A person can be oak, have a heart of oak. It's like you can hear the knock. It's so hard. You can hear the knock. A heart of oak. And you go and tell the person about the Lord and they hate you. They spit at you. They cuss at you. They say, get out of my face. And that heart goes from oak to pine. Not good, but the heart gets hard. And then you go. You don't see the guy anymore. You don't see the lady anymore. But you pray like crazy for him. You pray like crazy for her. And the Lord responds. Now that person's heart isn't going to be jello. That comes when he or she makes a decision to walk with Christ and believe in Jesus. But you pray like crazy for that person. And that person go from pine to oak to maple and maybe to balsa. Where the heart is ready to receive the word of God, ready to receive holy seed. And it might not be you that plants that seed. You see? It might have been you that was kicked around and spit on and beaten. But it might not be you that 
plants that seed. But you've done your work in praying for that. Getting that heart from pine to oak to maple to balsa. And somebody else gives Jesus Christ. Plants a seed. And the person received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You see, and now that person who hated you is now a brother. The person who hated you is now a sister. And you didn't plant the seed, but you were still working. You were still at work. The, the person will never know it. The person will never know that God responded to your prayers. But God knows. Your Father in heaven, hallowed be His name, He knows, He sees. See? And when God sees, do you know the richness of blessings He bestows? The gifts of the Spirit, the comfort of the Spirit, the blessings that He bestows? The rest in the Lord? And how beautiful is it? That's how he works. He, he sees. He knows. This is going to be one of the biggest battles of the last days is winning souls for Christ. I say one of the biggest battles. I mean, it's a big battle. It's a major battle. But another aspect of the spiritual warfare in in the last days, especially as we get deeper in the last days, is when it enters the realm of the flesh and staying alive. Very specific formula. And there is safety. Very specific formula. You see, the gifts of the Spirit, that, which, remember Agabus, the gifts of the Spirit, the gift of prophecy and Agabus you know, prepared the church and readied the church for the famine. And when the famine came, the church was unaffected. Why? Because they prepared. Why did they prepare? Because Agabus told them. What did Agabus tell them? What the Lord told them. Because he had the gift of prophecy. And so the church was okay. These are things that we're going to see in the last days. But with the remnant. With the remnant. Because the megachurch... That's judgment. The church is entering judgment. As prophesied, that judgment comes first to the church. And so we see verse 17. Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? Now, Remember our study through Joshua 7 about Achan? And in our study in Joshua 7 about Achan, everything was fine and dandy in the household of Achan. Hashtag blessed, remember? Everything is fine and dandy. But he didn't have God's rest. And as a result of his disobedience, there came judgment. And it wasn't judgment just for him. It was also on his kids. Understand that God's rest is a result of obedience. Remember, God is reactionary. He sees the hearts. He sees everything. He sees the mind. 
He tests the mind. Anybody could put on a show, but the Lord sees the heart. And what does he say to us? He says, look at the fruit. You'll see the fruit. Somebody says, oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And then he beats on his wife. Well, you're going to see the fruit. Oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And then like, you know, oh, I got, you know, chlamydia. Well, you see the fruit. You see it. Oh, I love Jesus Christ. I love Jesus Christ. But, you know, come on, let's go get drunk tonight. Let's go get baked tonight. Let's go do our lines tonight. Let's go cook spoons. Let's go worship Mary. Let's go worship Buddha. Let's do the Ouija boards. You're going to see the fruit. God sees the heart. You and me, we can't see the heart. But God can. And Jesus tells us, you just look at the fruit. That's all you got to do. Look at the fruit. The problem is, The false teachers, the false teachers, the servants of Satan, the Pseudodelphos, they come in as spies and they want to bring into bondage. You see, when you understand formula, you know, wow, you know what? I can't submit to this guy because he's a disqualified pastor. I can't submit to this lady because she's definitely not a pastor. You see? But this guy, he's full package. It is safe to submit to this guy. You see? And these patterns like Paul, like Timothy, like Titus, Philemon, they're patterns that the Lord has where, you know, you look at Timothy. I wonder if Timothy was like Paul, like a a mini Paul. I wonder. I wonder if Titus was like a mini Paul. I wonder if in those fellowships where, you know, Timothy's the pastor, I wonder if people would smile and be like, wow, you know what? He sounds just like Paul. He sounds just like Paul, his teacher. I remember they would be that those two were like joined at the hip. I wonder if people would say that of Titus. Man, he's just like, he's just like Paul. You see? And so Paul is a pattern. Timothy followed that pattern. Timothy's a pattern. And who followed the pattern of Timothy? It's like Moses is an example. Joshua followed the example of Moses. Joshua is an example. The, the, uh, 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 the elders, they follow the example of, of, of Joshua. But what happens when they die? Who are the examples? And you have these influencers that step in, but they're influencers of things that are not of God. They can influence. But when it's not of the Lord, then it gets really bad. You see? And these are things that we're going to study when we get into the book of Judges. And it's going to break your heart, especially when we get into Judges, because now we have this backdrop of Torah. Now we have this backdrop of Joshua. I mean, once we get into Judges, and it's going to break your heart. It's going to kill you. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. Because you're going to see the worship of the Baals, the Asher's, the Moleks. You see? 
We see in verse 18, to whom did he swear that he would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? You see, no obedience, no rest. I mean, it's pretty simple. It's pretty, I I don't say it like in a threatening manner, you know, no obedience, no rest. Like, you know, okay, that's a threat. No, it's just like, if you want rest and the rest of God, it's not like, you know, resting, you know, you, 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 you go to, you know, uh, uh, a vacation. It's not that type of rest. It's rest in the soul, rest in the heart, rest in the mind, rest just all. I mean, people have rest of the flesh. That's one thing. You know, you could be like, you know, suicidal, go on vacation. And, you know, all you're doing is changing your locale. You want to commit suicide in, in Barbados. You know, oh, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to Barbados. I'm going to try to make myself feel good. And, you know, I'm suicidal. I want to make myself feel good. And you go to Barbados and you still want to commit suicide. There's no rest. You see, there's no rest only comes in the Lord. And to abide in Christ is to obey Christ. Now, when you're obedient to Christ, you have his rest. You have his rest. You can be in Timbuktu. You can be in Barbados. You can be in the Philippines. You can be in, you know, South Africa. You can be in Saudi Arabia. You can be in Florida. You can be in New York. You could be in Los Angeles. You could be in Budapest. You could be anywhere. When you're obedient to the Lord, you have his rest. And the rest from God and of God, it only comes through obedience. You see? In verse 19, in closing, so we see that they could not enter in they could not enter in but notice because of unbelief you see the second generation had entry entry into the promised land and the only two from the first generation that entered the promised land joshua and caleb a type of christ and a type of holy spirit And with them, there was entry into the promised land for all Israel. You see? And as a shadow of things to come, the same thing applies to you and me. First generation must die. And that's you and me being born into Adam. Born into Christ, which is born again. Entry into the promised land. And we also have two Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. You see? It's so beautiful. It all it all fits perfectly old, new. What Moses wrote is the same thing that we read in the epistles, the same thing that we read in Acts, the same thing that we read in in, in, in Hebrews, the same that uh, Isaiah wrote of, this everything the same, same family, same Lord, same spirit. It all fits perfectly. You see? We're going to end our study here, pick up next week, Lord willing. But to the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.